Chapter Ten of The Life and Times of Kateri Tekakwitha, The Lily of the Mohawks, by Ellen Walworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Mohegans attack the new castle, Battle of Kinequariones, the Feast of the Dead. In the year sixteen sixty nine, in one of the long bark houses at Conawaga, on a summer morning before the dawn, Tekakwitha is turning uneasily in her sleep. Suddenly her aunt springs up beside her and speaks in a startled voice. In an instant all in the lodge are on the alert. Sharp, wild cries are heard. Bullets pierce the stout palisade and come whizzing through the bark sides of the new house. The warriors, roused from sleep, seize their nearest weapons, be they guns, war clubs tomahawks or arrows a hurried word to the women a loud whoop a few bounding steps and they are on the platform of the palisade hurling defiance at an assaulting army of mohegans before them are hundreds of the foe in war paint and feathers led by a stout man of middle age the wise and gallant chickatabat the great sachem of the massachusetts his bearing makes him conspicuous among a score of famous sagamores who are leading the assault in the motley ranks that follow are hudson river indians mingled with the red-skin neighbors of the puritans grim old warriors of the massachusetts tribe there are also narragansett braves and other new england indians all united in a desperate attempt to crush the mohawks and thus break in through the eastern door of the long house of the five nations the assailants seek now by open attack and now by strategy to dislodge the defenders of conawaga from their lofty scaffolds and to fire the palisade four mohawks drop from their places dead and two are wounded but the mohegans make no perceptible headway against the defensive works of the castle the struggle continues with unabated fury among those who fall on the side of the enemy are pupils of the english missionary elliot who knows something of the bible which he has translated for them five of these converts to puritanism are engaged in this expedition of whom but one escapes with his life they too like the ever-increasing neophytes of piron are called praying indians their chief chickatabat or josiah as he is often called was himself a praying indian once that was when he lived with his pious uncle kuchamakan one of elliot's favorite pupils he kept the sabbath several years says gookin but after turning apostate and for several years last past separated from the praying indians and was but a back friend to religion indeed the english who had a good opinion of him in his early days now thought him a very vicious person though all acknowledged he was as brave as brave could be the puritans had tried in vain to dissuade their indian neighbors from accompanying this chief on his adventurous march to the mohawk valley in spite of every drawback however chickatabat whose name means a house afire 
had succeeded in bringing his army all the way from the vicinity of Boston to the castle of Conawaga. After they were joined by their allies, they numbered six or seven hundred men. True, they had spent much of their ammunition on the march, shooting away their powder in the air, boasting, vaporing, and prating of their valor at the Indian villages where they had stopped for foraging purposes. It was their consequent lack of ammunition which determined them to carry the Mohawk castle, if possible, by assault. But the brave Kaniingas, or people of the flint, though taken by surprise in their sleep, were quick to grapple with the daring Mohegans and fought like panthers. They were not to be easily overcome by any roving Indian foe in defense of their women and their homes. The squaws of Kanawaga, with the well-known courage of their race, realized their perilous situation at the first alarm, and were arming themselves with knives and defensive weapons in case a breach should be made. The youths of the village were, many of them, fighting their first important battle on this occasion. The sight of the Mohawk women and young girls arming themselves as best they could to resist the Mohegan attack was in itself an irresistible appeal to their tribesmen to exert themselves to the utmost in defending them against the well-known horrors of captivity which would undoubtedly come upon them if the castle fell into the hands of the enemy many a young brave was nerved to desperate feats of valor on that morning and during the days that followed beginning with the sudden attack at dawn the struggle continued for a long time with uncertain issue news was carried to tyanontogen that the whole country was lost that conawaga was besieged by an army of mohegans that all the youth had already fallen and perhaps gondagaro the adjacent fort was in extremity these reports though exaggerated caused the mohawk warriors of the other castles to gather as fast as possible at conawaga even had they been all there at the very first they would still have been fewer in numbers than the enemy but before the sun was high enough of them had assembled to warrant a sally on the foe father piron was now at the castle and a witness of the stirring events taking place there Tekakwitha, too, was taking her part among the young girls, whose fate now hung in the balance. The missionary thus describes what followed. By eight o'clock in the morning, our warriors, without confusion, promptly arrayed themselves with all they have of greatest value, as is their custom in such encounters, and with no other leader than their own courage, went out in full force against the enemy i was with the first to go to see if amid the carnage about the palisades of the village where so many unbelieving souls would perish i might not be able to save someone on our arrival we heard only cries of lamentation over the death of the bravest of the village the enemy had retired after two hours of most obstinate fighting on both sides there was but a single warrior of the loops mohegans left on the ground and i saw that a barbarian after cutting off his hands and feet 
had flayed him and was stripping the flesh from the bones for a hateful repast this was to honor Arascoy. tekakwitha ever helpful and ready to assist others would probably be where she was most needed at that time with the bereaved women who were seeking their dead and with those who ministered to the wounded no heart so quick as hers to turn with loathing from the hideous human sacrifice that was being prepared outside the castle walls with the good deeds of the black-gowned pierron hourly before her and the sound of his voice often in her ears for this missionary could doctor as well as preach she must have had constantly in her mind the thought of rawaneo during this time of peril and anxiety and would not fail to call in spirit on the god of the christians for assistance against the foe the mohegan army sat down before the castle besieging it for some days without effect though there was much firing back and forth the provisions they had brought with them were about exhausted and their munition well spent some of their people were sick and they saw the impossibility of getting the stronghold by assault so they broke up the siege to the great relief of the imprisoned mohawks and retreated twenty miles in the direction of the dutch settlements this brought them to kinnaquarionis now called Tauruni, a steep rocky hill on the north side of the mohawk river it is just above hoffman's ferry nine english or three dutch miles west of schenectady there they temporarily entrenched themselves the mohawks who did not know of this camp though secure for the time being in their castle felt that in any case no time should be lost in following up the enemy as soon as they could make the necessary preparation the women of conawaga having laid aside their weapons began at once to assist the warriors in making ready the supply of meal which according to custom was to be carried on the war-path this was soon done as they had but to add a little maple sugar or other seasoning to the pounded corn which they had already twice charred or dried for use on just such expeditions the warriors of the mohawk nation were now all assembled to go in pursuit of the mohegans every man was fully armed and equipped and their deerskin pockets were well filled with the crushed corn they put themselves under the leadership of the brave warrior crin surnamed the great mohawk his home was at conawaga and his valor and good management on this expedition won for him a new title that of conqueror of the mohegans he and his fellow tribesmen now hastily bade adieu to their families who together with the black-gowned pierron were to remain at the castle then they embarked in canoes on the mohawk and aided by the force of the current soon disappeared around the great bend of the river in the direction of old Asernanon, on the route to the pale-faced settlements anxious eyes and thoughts followed them the bravest of two warlike races were now likely at any moment to meet in a decisive conflict and who dare foretell the result not tekakwitha who waited in silence and concern nor her more voluble companions whose anxiety took the form of restlessness 
having all done their share in defending the castle they could now only watch and wait looking often in the direction of the vanished braves and hoping for news of the expedition from chance stragglers in the meantime the women were free to go back and forth to the spring to care for the wounded and to prepare the bodies of the dead for burial the day after the departure of the warriors there were rumors of a desperate battle in progress about twenty miles away and on the following day at three o'clock in the afternoon came certain news of victory it was a great triumph for the mohawks or caniangas bravest of the bold canansiani chickatabat the sachem of the massachusetts was slain the noblest of the mohegan warriors fell at his side those who escaped fled away to their distant kindred humbled and ashamed with lamentations and mourning for the loss of most of their chief men the mohawks were greatly elated the gloom that hung over caughnawaga was changed to glad excitement all prepared to welcome home the heroes of the battle of kinaquariones father piron started at once and alone in the direction of the battlefield to visit the wounded he wished also to manifest to the warriors his interest in their victory he arrived on the spot before nightfall the warriors were glad to see him and eager to relate all the particulars of the fight this proved to be the last great battle between the mohawks and the mohegans its deeds of valor were told and retold for many a day at the turtle village and in tecaquitha's hearing with all the usual boastfulness of the indian piron wrote a full account of all that happened from the time the mohawk war party set out from the castle in their canoes till they returned to their homes in triumph it is here given in his own words night overtaking them the mohawks in their pursuit they sent in advance certain of their number in quest of the enemy and quietly to discover the place where he was encamped as the scouts came within sight of the spot desiring a better view of the situation they drew still nearer but notwithstanding their great caution one of the loops on guard close by hearing a noise gave the customary challenge Kuei, Kuei, this is the who comes there of the savages as there was no response and he saw nothing he did not deem it necessary to give the alarm from the report given by the spies on their return of the condition of the enemy it was determined not to attack him in his lodging-place where he appeared too well entrenched but to prepare an ambush on the route it was believed he would take in the execution of this plan the iroquois made a wide detour to lay their ambuscade in a cragged and most advantageous pass which commanded the only route in the direction of the hollanders in the morning the loops decamped and as they marched in single file after the indian custom twelve of them fell unexpectedly into the ambuscade a shower of balls of which they were all at once made aware immediately put to flight those that the casualty had spared frightful cries at once rang through the forest and the loops rallied at the same place where they had encamped the iroquois pursued them with vigor 
on overtaking them they made a fierce assault the loops at first made a stout resistance but the cowardice of some among them forcing the main body to recede before the fury of the iroquois ten of the whole band made a stand within their works to defend themselves unto death this new entrenchment greatly harassed our agnes mohawks but as they are an indefatigable and brave people they did not lose courage nor the hope of driving out the enemy and to succeed in this with the least peril they made use of an old tree which they found there and which they carried in front of them for protection this they were able to do instead of going up one by one to the place where the enemy was fortified their skill however did not avail them for notwithstanding this device the loops did not omit to open a heavy fire from all sides killing and wounding a number of our people and the fight without doubt would have been still more disastrous if night had not terminated it our indians captured at the outset four women of the twenty-four who accompanied the expedition and six men subsequently in the heat of the combat the next morning as they were ready to renew the attack they found that the enemy had made their escape during the night and that they were left masters of the battlefield the victors following the custom of the savages tomahawked and scalped the loops left on the place and then took care to bury those of their own people who had been slain in the fight the mohawks declared that nearly a hundred warriors on the side of the enemy had perished either by the sword in the fray or by water in flight this was probably an exaggeration continues piron as only nineteen scalps were secured according to the story of the mohegan captives they lost fifty men on their side thirteen falling on the field of battle while they killed altogether nearly forty of the mohawks peron thus describes the triumphal march back to conawaga from the field of action we left two days after the combat in company with a large number both those who had taken part in the fight and those who had come to look on the victors bore the scalps well painted and at the end of long batons made to support their trophies the captives divided into several bands marched with singing and as i perceived that one of the women had a sick infant which she carried at the breast i thought i would do well to baptize it seeing it was about to die the black gown accordingly took occasion to approach the mother as they were crossing a stream caught up a handful of water and saying the short baptismal words poured it on the little head which soon drooped in death he had already instructed some of the captives and in the course of a few days all of them asked for baptism on first reaching the castle the mohegan prisoners of war were received and tortured in the usual manner piron could do nothing for them while the heat of passion and enmity towards the victims lasted but watching his chance he saw that they were left alone for a time on the torture scaffold before being killed surrounded still by the ghastly scalps of their companions 
he at once led them down from the hateful platform and took them into a cabin nearby to prepare them if possible for a christian death while he was speaking to them earnestly of their salvation some of the iroquois came and stood near saying to one another do you see how he loves our enemies some among them added he ought to leave them to burn in hell people who have done us so much evil piron overhearing this turned about and seeing that a crowd of the villagers had assembled caught up the words of the discontented mohawks and taking them for his text explained so well and so forcibly the teaching of christ on the mount that in a little while the indians who had gathered about him were all of one mind and declared that he did well to teach the captives they no longer interfered with his self-imposed task but gave him ample time to instruct them before the doomed mohegans were finally put to death they all received baptism among them we are told was one of the bravest and most celebrated warriors of that nation who in the combat had slain with his own hand several iroquois submitting to piron's influence the fierce mohawks did not grudge even to this warrior whatever happiness he might be able to secure through the black gown's ministrations in another world little by little these mohawks were veering round in the direction of christianity under the firm and steady but gentle guidance of their devoted missionary whether or not they were willing to listen his stirring voice still rang in their ears and whether or not they realized the fact it was certainly true that he was treated every day with more and more of respect and trust the next important event that took place at conawaga was the feast of the dead here again though tekakwitha was certainly present and must have known all that was going on her biographers have given no account of it piron however has taken care to write out a full description of this great feast it occurred only once in ten years he of course in his important position as the representative among them both of christianity and of his french countrymen deals only with what concerned the whole mohawk nation he had little or no time to note the changes that were taking place in the young tekakwitha no word had passed between the two since his return from quebec if she had aught to say to him she was forbidden to say it likely enough he did not even recognize her when he saw her though he may have remembered the appearance of a little maiden who some years before had lodged him at gondawagua we who have followed the course of her life more closely can easily single out tekakwitha from the crowd that has gathered to witness the strange ceremonies that are taking place in the woods not far from the castle the bones of all the friends and relations of these people who have died within the last ten years have been carefully and reverently cleaned scraped and collected together to be deposited in a common pit prepared for their reception the best and richest of beaver skins and other furs are freely brought forward that the pit may be lined with their beautiful warm surfaces it is at night amid the wailing chants of the women 
and the flaming of torches that the relics of the dead with many a last caressing touch are deposited in the great pit they are encased in separate robes with precious gifts there are many tragic demonstrations of grief a weird pathetic scene it is and it makes a strange and lasting impression on the minds of the young people who witness it for the first time after the pit has been filled and covered over the women are to be seen trudging back and forth to the village with hampers of food to be deposited on the gigantic grave for the use of their departed friends it is only after the feast of the dead is over that the soul is supposed to take its final journey to the spirit land previous to this celebration they believe that it hovers near the body which they expose on a bark scaffold or else put in a sitting posture in a temporary grave covered lightly with bark or twigs during the progress of this feast quite a dispute arises among the assembled chiefs concerning the treatment received by piron he has been cordially invited to be present and now stands among the dignitaries of the mohawk nation in company with tekakwitha's uncle and other chiefs the black gown lets no part of the ceremony escape his notice distinguished guests from oneida and onondaga have placed themselves in separate groups according to custom an onondaga chief has risen to make a speech near enough to see and hear what is going on are the women of Kanawaga, who so lately took part in the defence of the castle tekakwitha's blanket partly conceals her face but she is quite as richly dressed as the other young squaws what she does not see or hear directly she can quickly gather from the talk of those about her when the onondaga has finished speaking the mohawk chiefs recount in turn the leading superstitions and fables of the nation they are well known already to most of the people who only half listen to what is being said presently there is a stir among the mohawk dignitaries which centres the attention of all within earshot on the group piron it seems has ceased to be a silent listener to what passes he begins in his turn to tell fables giving them here and there an extremely ridiculous turn in the midst of it he is abruptly ordered by one of the chiefs to be silent all are now eager to get at the truth of what has occurred some loudly upbraid the chief for his discourtesy others bitterly accuse piron of an untimely interference with their customs they say that he has been openly ridiculing their beliefs his mouth must be stopped at once but piron knowing full well his influence with the people and judiciously appealing to their love of fair play boldly addresses the offending chief in these words now distinctly heard by the listening throng dost thou know indeed that thou hast given me the keenest affront i could have received but who art thou to order me to be silent and am i here to obey thee if i had treated thee after this sort at quebec wouldst thou not have had cause to complain but in what have i spoken evil that my mouth should be closed and if i speak the truth why art thou not willing to hear 
the chief replied that it was their custom on these occasions to keep up their fables piron stoutly rejoined it is your custom to get intoxicated honestly is it a good custom and ought i to approve it it is your custom to violate every law of reason and to live as the beast think you it is not my duty to reprove you for all these vices and yet you impose silence upon me when i would speak to you is this reasonable as piron and the chief could come to no agreement the black gown withdrew from among the mohawks when the singing began and took his place in the group of onondaga guests who received him with marked respect the ceremony lasted five hours when it was over piron returned at once to conawaga village leaving the mohawks still in the forest on the spot where the solemnity was conducted a rumor was circulated there to the effect that the black gown meant to return to quebec it was not long before the brisk mohawk chief who had given offence came to him in the village to offer an apology for his conduct saying my brother up to this hour we have acted toward each other as the two best friends in the world then placing his hand on his heart he added tell me then frankly in what humor is thy soul they say that thou goest to quebec and will no more come to live with us if this be so i implore thee not to get us into difficulty with anoncio for this would bring trouble upon thyself if so many both old and young who greatly love and honor thee should for this reason receive ill treatment tell me then what is in thy heart and what are thy sentiments piron in a grave and serious manner seldom assumed by him replied it has been told thee that i have an irritated mind and a heart full of grief this is true and thou knowest well that thou art the cause thou hast treated me with the greatest indignity thou hast even presumed to impose silence when i would speak of the faith which is the thing of all else as thou art not ignorant i have most at heart did it not confuse thee to see me so well received by the onondagas whom i did not know driven out by those who professed to be our friends after listening patiently till he was through the chief said with earnestness my brother i see what is at the bottom of this quarrel it is that we are not yet christians but if thou wilt leave this important affair to me i promise thee success this is what thou must do first convoke a council and then having given three belts to our three families at each present speak out thy mind after this leave me to act and i trust all will go well all did go well to the great delight of father piron the old chief who was high in authority went to work so energetically sending his nephews out in every direction that he soon assembled all the grandees of the mohawk nation in the cabin of piron 
the black gown did indeed speak out his mind with such decided effect that his words were received with loud cries of applause he threw down a fathom of wampum saying anie my brother if it is true that thou art willing to hear me there is my voice which warns thee and entreats thee wholly to renounce agrascoia and never speak to him but to adore the true god and follow his law he threw down a second fathom of wampum to oblige the medicine men no more to invoke demons for the cure of diseases but to use natural remedies again and again the speaker was applauded even the medicine men who were present in the assembly showed their good will on this occasion the last present to destroy the superstition of the dances was received with no less acclamation than the other two it was piron's moment of triumph the reward of his unceasing efforts in their behalf the whole mohawk nation seemed ready to do his will the council which met some days after included the delegation from onondaga these distinguished strangers had just returned from the visit they made to the dutch after taking part in the feast of the dead garacantier the chief of the onondagas himself soon to become a christian now raised his powerful voice in support of piron saying to the people take his word for he has sacrificed all for you the black gown triumphed at last the sorcerers of the village cast their turtle-shell rattles into the fire the women no longer called in the medicine men to cure their diseases no dances were allowed which were not approved by piron and the oyanders or nobles brought their youth in crowds to the chapel to be instructed what more could the black gown wish alas he knew the indians too well and he adds in the moment of his success their natural inconstancy still divides my heart between fear and joy so far as tekakwitha was concerned no fear as yet disturbed the calm content of her spirit the lily of the mohawks quite unnoticed in the retirement of her lodge was taking note of all these things and was waxing fairer every day in the sunny light of rawaneo's presence in the land the true god the great spirit they tell her is now to be worshipped by all the people she hears them cry out through the village hail to rawaneo down with sorcery down with arascoi these words are like sweet music in the ears of tekakwitha she is in a dream of happiness a daydream of the spirit her busy fingers drop their work unconscious of this unaccustomed idleness her thoughts are all of god tekakwitha's first and last and only love is rawaneo she hears his voice she feels his presence in the purer air she breathes for Eraskoy has fallen from his throne in the quiet and seclusion of the longhouse all alone she hears the noises of the crowd outside like distant murmurs 
but the name of the true god echoes in her ears and she is happy why not leave her so let us not disturb her why should she be roused to suffer must the lily droop her head and thirst and die like the rest of rawaneo's flowers alas it must be so but let us not forget that this lily of the mohawks has a soul though it is still like a little bird that breathes and just begins to move but has not tried its strength in sorrow the wings of the soul are developed when once they have grown strong it will be easy for tekakwitha to fly away through the door of death to rawaneo chapter ten